Well, grace, peace, and mercy be unto you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Today we celebrate Pentecost. Pentecost is actually not just a New Testament holiday. It, it follows from an Old Testament tradition uh, of the Feast of Weeks. And during that time, during the Feast of Weeks, the early, early church, the, the synagogue part of the church, celebrated first fruits giving. That everything they acknowledged was from God and was owed to God. And what they did was celebrate saying, God, thank you for everything that you have given. So that when Pentecost then, as, as foretold in the book of Joel, as Peter and, and the disciples are in the upper room waiting, this rushing wind and loud, loud rushing wind, they begin to speak in tongues, tongues of flame, light on their heads. This Pentecost day, God has said, hey, like I was in the past, I'm with you now and you will never be forsaken. You have the gift of the Holy Spirit. You have the best of what I have to give you in the gift of the Holy Spirit. It's God's first fruits. And what that means for us is that we have been given the, the mighty counselor, that we have been given the greatest gift that could ever be given, and that is that God says, I will reside with you, in you, for you, and for the benefit of you. Now, 18 years ago, I preached for the very first time officially not as a pastor, I was a first-year seminarian. I was finishing up my first year of seminary. Wouldn't you know, my home church called and said, hey, you're a first-year seminarian, you've had your preaching class, why don't you come home and, and preach for the folks? I said, awesome, what's the text for that Sunday that I'll be home? They said, it's Pentecost Sunday. I was like, awesome, great. I get to talk about the Holy Spirit and fire and winds and, oh, just incredible. And I got to be excited the whole sermon. I have no idea what else I said, but man, was I fired up the whole time. 18 years later, still fired up. I, I love Pentecost. I love the idea of understanding that what God has given to us is a spirit of power. And it is a spirit that conquers all things in all creation. It is a spirit that says, by my might, God's saying, you can accomplish anything. You can conquer anything this world has to throw at you. And many of you, you're hoping that's true. For many of you, this week, it's, it's possibly been a, been a rough week. Maybe, maybe you've been attacked unfairly. Maybe there have been things said about you that have sullied your reputation. Maybe you feel like you're, you're having to battle on the left and on the right and in front of you and behind you. Maybe you went to the doctor and you found out you're not as healthy as you thought you would be. Maybe an old friend stopped by and brought up something from the past that they've been holding against you and you're going, really? Or maybe Satan was just being a booger this week and brought up your sin. And he's just needling with you, you with it all week long. He's just pressing and holding you down and shoving it in your face, asking those stupid questions. Are you sure God really forgave you? Are you sure this time he's going to forgive you? Satan's a booger. And our past and our sin and everything else that so assails, let alone the good that we try to do, and it's oppressive, right? 
Try to get that promotion at work. You work a little uh, extra long. Maybe you, you put in extra effort and all of a sudden nobody recognizes it. Nobody, nobody says, hey, good job. You think, wow, what is this all for? The world assails, doesn't it? Sin assails. Satan attacks. And from every corner, from everywhere, either in front or behind, from left to the right, it just feels as if, God, where are you? Because you're allowing Satan to have his way. That's, that's how it can feel. And in the midst of that, in the midst of all of that, we have God's holy word. In the midst of that, God speaks into all of these things that are so down beating uh, in the midst of things that are so challenging in the midst of a world that seems like its attack on you is relentless God is here in verse 22 of our reading this morning, we know that it's not just us, but the whole of creation that groans as in the pains of childbirth. If the rocks and trees cried out, right, in Jesus' triumphal procession into the holy city of Jerusalem, do you not know that those same rocks and trees that cry out in jubilation are also saying, how long, Lord, until you return? The creation itself is groaning, Scripture tells us, waiting for Jesus to come back and make everything all right. That instead of in the middle of May, uh, snow, sleet, or, 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 or rain, we, we would just have 75 and clear blue sky and sunny. Sometime, I, I know it's coming. I, I, I believe. I have faith. I, I don't yet see it or walk by sight, but, but supposedly I'll be able to pull out the shorts here soon. But even creation, creation groans. You know how your body aches in the morning or, or at the end of a long work day and, and you just feel it from the top of your head to the bottom of your feet and sometimes you can say, man, that was a, that was a day's work well done. You're, you're completely spent. But what happens when you're completely spent on Monday and then Tuesday and Wednesday and by Thursday you're going, I, I don't know if I can make it and Friday rolls around and and you're saying, yeah, I mean, it's Friday, but what do I have left? And, and then Saturday, and, you, and you've packed Saturday full of everything, and you, I just, I just want to sleep. Groaning. Where the body aches, the mind is not at peace, and your soul rumbles with disquiet. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons. Now I want to clear something up because Paul here theologically may make it sound like you haven't yet been adopted. How many of you are baptized? Just go ahead and raise your hand. You're adopted. 
I, I just want you to know that's, that's the process. That's, by, that's the process by which God brings you into his holy family. And whether you were an infant, whether you were a teenager or an adult, when the holy waters of baptism washed over you, you were called his son or daughter. And at that point, you are adopted. You're a part of the family of God. But we groan inwardly, Paul writes, because we're waiting for that last and final day. That end day when the body that does pain, the body that is tired, the body that is dying, gets remade. And we will be with him forever. And at that point, there will be no more pain or aches. We will not have that internal groan. We will not have a longing that says, oh, I wish to see the Lord. No, then your eyes will see him. For in this hope we were saved. You know, when you're down and out, and, and again, the world is coming down on you, and you say, how can I stand? Is there any hope? There is. Because it's in the hope of Jesus Christ, in His restoration, in the gift of the Holy Spirit, that God will never leave you and never forsake you, even if that's how it feels. Hope remains. Verse 26, in the same way the Spirit helps us in our weakness. I don't know about you, but I'm sure I'm glad that the Spirit is around. <laughs> There's a lot of weakness, right? Temptation for sin, weakness. Can't get it all done in a given day, even though the, your family thinks you should be able to get it all done, or your boss thinks you should be able to get it all done, or, or the people around you and all of your commitments and volunteer and all the different places you've been, and, and yet it keeps piling up and you go, I'm not strong enough. Hmm. The Spirit helps us in our weakness. Scripture tells us that when we're weak, then He is strong. So it's not about us getting stronger. It's not about us being able to take on more and be able to endure by our own skills, abilities, or anything within our power. No, it is about acquiescing, giving up, humbling, being on our knees in front of God where he says, now I can get to work. <laughs> Quite frankly, I picture him going, would you just get out of the way? Would you let me do my thing? I'm way stronger than you. I'm way smarter than you. I've got this all under control. If you'll just get out of the way, I've got so much for you. Verse 28, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. And that's what you being adopted as a son or daughter means is that you have been called according to God's purpose. You haven't been called according to your purpose. You haven't been called according to your spouse's purpose. You haven't been called according to your children's purpose. You haven't been called according to the church's purpose, to the community's purpose, or to your neighbor's purpose. You have been called according to God's purpose. You say, well... I Okay, but I, I don't know what that is. I, I'd like some handwriting on the wall to say, David, proceed thus. Go here, don't go there. And you go, wait a minute, um, he has done that. We don't, we don't open up the word of God, we don't read it, we don't, 
digest it. We don't study. We don't take it in. And he has. He's given us guidance for each and every day. We know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. It doesn't say God fixes everything that is so bad in your life if you love him. It doesn't say God makes it all feel better if you love him. It says God works for the good of those who love him. Even when that goodness is different than what you would want or desire. There's the challenge. There's the challenge. Can I be okay with what God is doing? Can I be at peace with what God wants? Can my soul truly be at rest knowing that He's stirring things up because He has purpose? 31, what then shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, <laughs> who can be against us? Who? A neighbor? Coworker? Family member? Who can be against you? How about sickness? Can it be against you? Can it win? It might take your physical life. You might lose your name, your reputation, and your job. You might have to move on, move out. But really, what have they done? What have they won? Verse 32, he who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? I mean, if God is for you, and he is a good God, and he didn't even spare his own son, Jesus Christ, so that your sins were forgiven, so that you would have eternal life. If he didn't spare that, why do we doubt that God isn't about to give us good things? Even if they are challenging, he says, I've got great things for you. Do you trust me? Verse 35. Sorry, verse 34, who is he that condemns Christ Jesus who died more than that who was raised to life is at the right hand of God and is interceding for us? Has someone ever done that for you? Someone ever stepped in the gap for you? You can read story after story from the military of, of soldiers jumping on a grenade or, or, or pushing a buddy out of the doorway, interceding. That's what I mean. I mean literally putting yourself in the place. Maybe you were at the schoolyard and somebody was being made fun of and you stepped in and said, hey, leave them alone. I don't know if you've been on the receiving end of that or the giving end of that, but I will tell you there is nothing like having someone step in the gap for you. Husbands are called to do it all the time for their wives. Wives for their husbands. Parents for children. Older siblings for younger siblings. Called to take the flack. Called to step in and say, intercede, you bet, I'll stand in the gap and you leave them alone. That's what Jesus does for us. I can picture battling each and every day, looking at Satan and saying, leave him alone. 
He's mine. He belongs to me. And the Spirit empowering us to continue in that battle, giving us the Word of God to battle Satan and his lies. To intercede on behalf of the weak and the tired. To intercede by prayer and supplication. To intervene at a moment's notice. That's what we're called to do. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, we are to intervene in the lives of those around us. Those that are lost. Yep, to do the hard thing and walk beside them. To intervene when it's not convenient. I don't mean as a blowhard. I don't mean getting in people's business where you, you don't, your nose doesn't belong. I mean loving people and intervening on their behalf with prayer, with time, with energy, and with effort. 35, who then shall separate us from the love of Christ? No one. Nothing. You can't out-sin him. You can't outrun him. And the world can't take him away. No, in all these things, verse 37, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. And I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels or demons, neither the present nor the future nor the pow any powers, no height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Friend in Christ, do not despair. May your hope May your hope rest secure in the knowledge that Jesus Christ has you firmly in the palm of his hand and that by the gifting of the Holy Spirit, you are his. No doubts, no fears. Amen.